back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Ragland, and I'm delighted to be coming back to you another week. This week's guest is the Director of Possibilities for Creativity and Education, an organization whose mission is to empower educators and infuse creative thinking into every classroom in the world, Dr. Cindy Burnett. Cindy, welcome, and What's Your Bliss? Hi, thanks so much for having me, Thomas. Um, what is my bliss? My bliss is helping others live a more creative life. And in particular, in the last 10 years, I've been working specifically with educators. But overall, my my biggest bliss in life is helping people find sort of their creative voice, their creative self. Um, and I work with people. One of the things I consider myself is an idea doula, where I help others take their ideas and bring them to life. And I facilitate that process for others. Idea doula. If you have not trademarked that, you should. I love it. I think it's <laughs> phenomenal. Um, and, and really, I think speaks to exactly... I mean, if, if you know what a doula is, it speaks exactly to what I think you're doing here. So I think I, I think that's amazing. Let me ask, is that something that's been uh, kind of throughout your whole life? Is that it, that you've been trying to bring out creativity in others and yourself? Or is that something that you've more recently uh, found as a, as, a, as a desire? Well, as someone, um, when, I, when I, let me go back a few years. Let me go back a couple of decades, actually. When I was in my 20s, I was a professional actress. And I loved musical theater. I still love musical theater. And I toured the show with, I toured um, the country with the Broadway show. And at that time, and this was back in the late 1990s, um, I read the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I fell in love with the idea of creativity and finding your creative voice and creative blocks and barriers and uh, when I came off to, I realized I, w- I didn't want to be an actor anymore. It was just, it was, a, it's a hard life. Um, it's an interesting life, but it's a hard life. And it wasn't the life that I wanted. And someone asked me, what did I want to learn about? They said, you know, so what do you want to learn about? And I said, I want to learn about creativity. And that was a game changing moment for me because, you know, ev- I kept thinking like, what do I want to be? What do I want to be? What do I-? And, and it was, what do I want to learn about? It was, I wanted to learn about creativity and I wanted to learn more about what helps people be more creative and what are the things that stop people? And, and so I found actually in in my backyard, I'm from Buffalo, New York, the international center for studies and creativity at SUNY Buffalo state. And I did my master's degree there and um, was brought on shortly after to start teaching creativity. So I've been teaching creativity for over 20 years now and worked with hundreds of people from all different domains and coaching people and, really helping them to figure out um, what possibilities they can imagine for themselves. Yeah. You mentioned something that really speaks to me, which is what stops people from, from finding that creativity. And I'm curious from the work that you've done, you know, two decades of work in, in just teaching this, but also, you know, I don't want to disregard all of the work that you were doing, kind of living a creative life and an, an artistic life prior to that. What do you think, what do you think are the things that really stop people from being creative? I think the biggest things are our perception of who, like of, of ourselves. So, you know, we believe that we can't do something because we're too old or we're too young or we lack experience. We can't do something because we, we don't, we're afraid to be a novice or a newbie. Um, I think so much of it are self-imposed constraints 
that say, well, I shouldn't be doing that, or that's not going to make me a lot of money, or um, I'm too worried that people are going to laugh at me or like this, because it, it's a very, being creative is a very vulnerable place right. because if you're taking risks and you're going to be in the minority of one with your ideas, then it's, it's a vulnerable place and you might fail. And that's not a comfortable place to be. So you have to be willing to take those risks. And I think a lot of people are more comfortable just sort of playing it safe and not living the life that they want versus going after it and risking, you know, some sort of internal failure. Yeah, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how failure is ultimately rewarding and how it can teach you so much. And there are things that I am not good at that I really love. And there are things that I am great at that I really don't like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and I think finding, obviously this podcast about finding bliss and finding that joy and finding that bliss in those things, even if you're not good at them, Mm -hmm. I think there's a way to do that. I'm curious if you've run across people who feel similarly to me where they, they have some things that they're just maybe not good at, but they just love doing it. I think that is the key is that you love doing it and being okay with being average, you know, and being okay with, you know, not knowing all the information. I, you know, one of my core values is learning and as an individual, and I think learning plays a huge part in, in finding your bliss and being a creative person that you have to be able to be willing to go on a journey and to be okay with not having all the answers or not being perfect or just being completely average, but doing it because you enjoy doing it. Right. You mentioned vulnerability and I'm curious if there was a point in your life where that vulnerability seeped in for you, where you were, you said, I need to, you know, I, I'm sure that there's part of this certainly kind of changing career paths, but mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, um, you know, especially as your younger self, was there a point where that vulnerability hit and you said, I have to take this risk. Um, and I'm curious about how that was received from kind of your community, your support network. Well, certainly when I was younger, um, taking the risk and leaving theater when I had just landed an, you know, an equity card and a tour and, you know, was well on my way to living, you know, sort of a, a creative actor's life. Um, when I said, I didn't want to do theater anymore, everyone thought I was crazy because usually you say that after you've been temping for several years and you can't find a job. Um, but what I found was that performing the same show over and over again was really, um, dull. I mean, I might Mm. as well have been working in a, in a factory because I, every day I would go on stage, I would do the same moves. I would talk to to sing the same song. And, and then it was just like, okay, pack up the show, drive to the next location, the end. And there was nothing creative about it. Um, So I think leaving that um, and leaving this huge passion, I mean, everything that had built up to that moment in time of landing that tour was my whole life was dedicated to being a a musical theater performer. And so leaving that was really, really hard. And the transition is really hard. Um, And I think, you know, as an academic, you know, like I said, I was an academic at teaching as a college professor for 20 years. And I went on sabbatical actually, and said, I want to be doing something different. And, you know, again, everyone was looking at me like, wait a minute, you've got a tenured position, you're associate professor, you've got a a nice gig here. Why would you leave that? And I said, because I have a bigger mission in life. I have a a bigger mission of 
empowering educators. And I can't do that within the context of my current environment because I've got a hundred grad students or I've got all these committee meetings that I have to be a part of. And I've got to write these research documents. And if I really want to make an impact in this field, then I have to risk leaving it, even though it was comfortable, it paid well, it was a good job. But you know, when I was going into this environment of, you know, the director of possibilities, <laughs> excuse me, um, is, you know, my own creation. This, you know, my platform is my own creation. It's everything that I've ever envisioned for what I wanted um, in the field of creative and education. And so just getting out there and, and trying it and, you know, putting my feet to the pavement every day and saying, okay, let's give it a try today and see what happens. And some days are really amazing and other days it's hard, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You you talked about performing every day the same show and mm-hmm. how that really ended up not being creatively fulfilling. And mm-hmm. you likened it to working in an, in an office or, or an eight to five. And and yeah. um, and I just it got me thinking that the, that work in general is kind of a performance, right? Um, right. And when you go, you are. You, you know, this person for eight hours a day, and then you get to, you know, be not that person once you leave work or, or however that, you know, however that, that plays out. Um, and I think it's, it's so, I'd never thought about, um, as someone with a, a bit of a performance background, certainly nothing, uh, you know, uh, too intense, but as someone who enjoys performing, I'd never thought about the fact that, oh, this is, this really does become pretty rote and pretty, pretty routine. Mm. And, um, I, I wouldn't have thought that, but it, but it makes a lot of sense the way you say it, especially when you want that variety and, you know, the old adage, of course, is variety is the spice of life. Um, and it sounds like you've really found that in kind of what you're doing now. Mm. Um, and I'm curious, just what, um, what are ways where you a- are able to kind of continue that variety and continue being, um, almost a pioneer in creativity. Um, how do you, how do you keep that, uh, kind of vigor going? Well, it's, it's really easy to do in my current position as the director of possibilities, because that's what I talk about all day, every day, pretty much is what are the possibilities and what do we need to, what are the challenges that people are facing and what do we need to do to overcome those, those challenges? And I work with a lot of educators um, who tell me their stories and I get to write up their stories or they write up their stories and I'm critiquing their stories. And, and I get to work with a lot of different organizations um, to talk with them about, you know, what they envision for creativity and what they're doing. So I get to learn about what other people are doing. I also have a podcast myself called Fueling Creativity. And we interview a lot of um, researchers in the field and talk about the implications of their work and into practice. So we really try to bridge the gap between research and practice. And so I, I feel like, you know, when I talked about my core value of learning, and I think that's, that's part of finding your bliss is figuring out what, what are the things that you value the most in your life? You know, so I value learning, I value authenticity and I value integrity. And with, as long as I'm doing those things, I feel like I'm, I am living my bliss, but the second something happens where I have to do something that doesn't feel right. Or, um, when I, when I feel like I haven't learned anything, like if I go to sleep and I'm like, I really haven't learned anything today. I'm like, I feel yuck. 
you know, so I know the next day I sort of have to invigorate myself with some sort of learning. And I'm always, I love putting myself in the learning role, especially as, as a person who works with educators, because I think it's really important as educators that we position ourselves to always be learning and understanding what it's like to be the novice, that it's uncomfortable and it's frustrating. And sometimes you just want to fast forward to say, I know how to do this, <laughs> you know, and so, and you can't, like, you can't just skip the process of learning, but that's sort of the fun of, you know, so you have to sort of embrace it. Teaching really is, uh, like you said, it's every year it's brand new novice work, right? You, you get mm -hmm. new students, you get new people who, don't have the subject matter, you know, uh, at hand, they, they, you get to teach them. And the other piece is, I think in education and I work in education, you could probably see that from my background. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, you know, is that there's, um, there's just such a high need to evolve. And um, I think that if you are not creative in how you find that evolution, then mm -hmm. again, you become kind of stuck. And I mm -hmm. think that is where a lot of educators maybe fall short because they're not thinking of how to facilitate creativity and not just facilitate it, but how to evolve it over time. Because it's just, there's no way to, I don't think um, there's a way to teach the exact same thing, the exact same way each year and have that reach your students. Well, and I love that you, you use the word evolve because we just finished working on our mission, vision, and values. And one of our values is evolution, not revolution. Because so often, you know, we talk about, you know, in education, we need a revolution. We need a revolution. And it's like, no, we don't need a revolution. We just need to evolve. We need an evolution because we're still working as we did, you know, in the early in the early, you know, 1900s. And right. now we're, you know, in 2021 and we've just been through this pandemic and we're still in this pandemic to, to a certain extent. And we see like all the changes that we might need to do on the fly and how much, you know, if we look at VUCA, the volatility, uncertainty. Um, and if we look at those aspects and we say, well, you know what? we really need to be able to manage change. If we want to manage change, we need creativity because that's how you manage change is you have to be able to come up with new ideas and be flexible in your you know, cognitive flexibility and come up with original ideas that haven't been created before because we haven't been in this situation before. So. How did the pandemic impact both kind of your, your work in general, but also how you how you do teach that creativity and how you encourage that creativity. You know, you're, you're saying that we, we do need to evolve and we needed to anyway, but we've given, we've been given <laughs> a reason to right? a, a, yeah. a really strong reason as a, as a global society to evolve in different ways, whether that's work and, or, or, or school or whatever. And I'm curious just in general, how, how that might have shifted either your teaching or, or the way that educators receive that information. I know there's a lot wrapped up in there, so I'll let you take it where you want. Okay, let me try to un unpack that. So I think a lot of it has to do with um, how educators, particularly K through 12 educators, but also college professors, and I, you know, my my life's work has been in, in higher ed, but also working with K through 12. And what I think has happened is, you know, before when I used to say to educators, do you think you're creative? They would say, no, I don't really think of myself as creative. They often think of themselves as not creative, by the way, because they think of creativity related to the arts. Yep. And when 
when I frame it as, have you solved a problem in the last week in which you had to come up with a new solution that you couldn't just Google the answer for? And they go, oh yeah, that happens pretty much. I mean, with this pandemic and I mean, the cognitive flexibility that was required for all, for everyone in the whole world. I mean, it's not limited to anyone. This has been impactful to everyone in the whole world where it was like, well, I don't know if my kids are going to school tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to have to manage these meetings. I don't know if I'm going to have to run a conference online. I, I mean, there were so many shifts and I feel like we were almost all on this ride of being pushed in all different directions. And you either went with the push and didn't get slammed against the wall too hard, or, you know, you, you fought it and it was a struggle. You know, and I can, it's understandable that a lot of people found it a struggle because it was, it it was so uncertain and it was so ambiguous and it continues to be that way, you know, but not to the extent that it was, let's just say a year ago when we didn't know what was about to happen with the the winter or vaccines. So I think, you know, when, when I talk to educators now and I say, do you think you need creativity or do you need to come up with possibilities or do you need your students to be independent thinkers, critical thinkers, all these things are like, yes, yes, and yes. And, and not only, it's not only about that, but it's also about finding meaning and meaning in learning because, and it's interesting, I have a son who's 13 and I was just talking with him yesterday and, and we were talking about a teacher that he has who did a lot of rote learning and just gave him a lot of, inf- you know, here are worksheets, memorize this information. And he's like, but I don't remember any of that. And he said, and then I have another teacher who's like really challenging me to think on everything and defend my answers and problem solve and, and discuss why this is this way and this might be this way and then shift perspective. And he said, and I remember all of that. And those sort of creative methods of teaching make learning more meaningful. They make, they put it into, into context for students, which I think, you know, creates a long lasting um, effect. So I think teachers are very, 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 very gradually starting to shift into saying, maybe we do need this creativity stuff, but I still don't know how to do it. And that's sort of, you know, what I love to do is show them how to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. I I really resonate with a couple of pieces you said there, which the first one was the seeing creativity only through a visual medium. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was something that, you know, people would ask me, like, do do you, are you creative? Do you, you know, those types of things I would say, no, you know, I'm I'm not. And, um, but it really was limited to that visual medium. And it's one of those things I mentioned earlier, excuse me, of like, that is something I really love to draw and I'm really bad at it. <laughs> but, but like, to me, like, it's just like it, doing quick sketches and things like that is something that like, it just brings me joy. And so I think there's also the piece of, you know, uh, again, it, even if you don't see yourself in that way, are there pieces of that that can, that can bring joy? And then how can you spread that to, to others? Um, but you mentioned kind of really the creative methods with teaching and and how you can do those things. And I would agree. I was thinking back to my own college experience when you were talking about your son's experience mm-hmm. in that I, I had one class. Um, it was a theories of personality class. I was a psych major. And at the class, um, I recognized after the first test that the, the professor only put things on the board that were going to be on the test. So he would only write those things. And so I 
really didn't pay attention until he started writing. And then I wrote word for word because he also wanted it exactly how he wrote it. And so when I studied, I just studied all of the words that he had put on the board front and back. I don't remember a single thing from that class, but um, I had a a professor who um, did um, like clinical psychology. And those are things like, I feel like I still use to this day, um, even in my job, even though I don't use it as a psychologist, it's something that I'm like, oh, I can go back to kind of that learning because there was more of a, of a dialogue and a creative mm. method and like a challenge, like you said. So um, I'm curious it, from your perspective, and there might be variants and that's okay, but how do you, how do you just teach that creativity? How do you help, you know, how do you help educators find that creativity? Well, I use the work of E. Paul Torrance, who is known as the father of creativity and education. And what he talks about is um, he designed this model called the Torrance Incubation Model. And I actually have a book coming out on the Torrance Incubation Model in September. But the first part of this book is around infusing creative thinking skills into your content. So I have a list um, and you can download this. In fact, I can, if you have show notes, I can send this link to you. Um, You can download the list of 20 skills. And it also, I use these skills also to bridge um, the the gap between the arts of creativity and the scientific, which is more improving on problem solving creativity, that what we need from both sides are things like curiosity, being original, being flexible, coming up with lots of ideas, visualizing things rich and colorfully, embracing ambiguity, um, tolerating complexity. So I use this list of 20 skills and I say, pick one skill. So let's say pick curiosity. Okay. And I want you to take a piece of content that you're teaching and I want you to get your students curious to, by using this, the skill of curiosity and your content. So for example, typically we have students go home and find the answers to all of the questions that you give them, right? So what if we were to shift this and say, I want you to go home and read this text and I want you to come back with 20 questions that you have Mm -hmm. about the text. So that's the shift from, you know, just giving them a, a questionnaire that says, find all the answers to let's go find all the questions. And that's getting them curious and having them ask questions. So that's, and, and my first book, which is Weaving Creativity into Every Strand of Your Curriculum, has literally a thousand ideas like this on all different subjects that help educators weave creative thinking skills into their classroom. And these ideas all came from educators from across the board. So that's sort of how we do it. And it's, and it's really simple. It's just a quick shift, you know, and, you know, instead of having your, you know, you mentioned your, your professor who just wrote things on the board. What if he were to have you visualize it rich and colorfully and everyone gets five markers. And as he's lecturing, you have to visualize the notes of what he's saying. So just a small shift like that will have you envisioning you know, what you see as the content instead of just like listening and and scratching notes that you look at later on and say, I don't know what the heck I just wrote. I really love that. And uh, I'm thinking of myself as a student, especially a young student, and that I was someone who really excelled with just the the rote and and answering questions and like and, and knowledge and like retaining information and those types of things like that is something that I was really good at and so then I, I as a as an adult I've I've reckoned with uh, am I am I just good at memorization or it's why I have actual intelligence right and um and, and I've had a lot of you know kind of uh, work on that with within myself but one of the things that I think you're you're talking about is I think if someone presented me 
the question piece. And I'm going back to that one, you know, come back with 20 questions or come back with 10 questions that you have on this work. I think I would have, I would have cared more and I would have been challenged because that was something I remember as a kid is like, I just never felt challenged. And, uh, and then it got to the point where I just kind of settled into that. Like, Hey, I'm never going to be challenged. So I'll just do, you know, I'll do the bare minimum and I'll do what, whatever I can to, to get by. And it's not like that. I was um, not getting good grades. Cause I certainly was, but it was very much a, like, I'm not going to be challenged here. So I need to find that challenge in other places. And, um, and sometimes those were good and sometimes those were bad. Um, but I think that, yeah, I, I agree. Like that challenge to me is so, is so key to that creativity. It is because it, it brings out the motivation to, to excel and do well. And it also meets students where they are. It's funny because when I used to work, um, when I used to work at Buff State and I used to have the first day of class, the syllabus and contract, um, you know, which is the dreaded first day, right? You know, you stand there and you go, do I read the syllabus and contract to my students? Do, do they really care about this? They can read it on their own. But if you read it to them, it feels kind of silly because you're reading your syllabus and contract. If you tell them to go read it, they're never going to read it. So what do you do? So I, on the first day of class, I would give all my students 20 post-its. And I would say, I want you to go home and I want you to write 20 questions you have about me as a professor, about the course or about the assignments or about the content that we're learning. And that's your homework for tonight. Come back with 20 questions. And within the, so second day of class, they come in. I'm seeing some students that are like, There's, there was homework yet last class. <laughs> All those post-its, we were supposed to do something. I'm like, okay, I've got to be observant of those students and intervene early on because they're clearly not really paying attention and they think this is a joke. And then I see the students who, you know, maybe did one or two and I'm like, okay, you need to reach beyond that. You need to get beyond that. And then I see the students on the second day of class who have their 20 post-its laid out with all these amazing questions. And honestly, Thomas, I would go to some of them and I go, I want you to come and talk with me after class. You're going to be a great minor yeah. in our program because I could see them excelling from day two. Right. And I would have never seen that in any other capacity if I just gave them the syllabus or just read it to them. You know, so just something simple like that, I was able to connect with so many students on where they were at and how, where their thinking was at and what kind of class this was going to be, which is not a normal class of you show up and, and just listen to me talk. I think that's that's fascinating and, and beautiful. I really, I really love that. I think it's, it speaks to, again, like, I, I think the other piece that I'm, I'm really hearing from everything we're talking about is there is a way to individualize this and, mm -hmm. and individualization obviously also breeds, um, you know, a lot of that creativity. Yeah. And as someone who's very strong in individualization, like it's very important to me to like bring out the best of the individual. I really mm -hmm. love that you're, you've been able to do that and, and been able to kind of isolate those like, Hey, and, and, and I also love a puzzle. So you've been able to put the puzzle pieces together with all of your people that you're working with. And I, yep. I just think that that's great. I'm curious, just from a, from a testing perspective, and we are such a test heavy uh, society and, and all of that, what has that looked like when, when you've helped um, educators with how to test or, 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 or to review knowledge on a subject or, or all of that? How is that, how, how, how do you help educators kind of find creativity in those spaces? In well, I mean, the standardized testing, you just sort of have to get through. I, it, It's sad that we have so much emphasis on testing. And I know that there is a testing, I'm trying to think of the name of it. And I apologize that I can't, I don't have it off the tip of my tongue, but it's an international testing and they're starting to look at creativity at the age of 16. So it's almost like, well, until we start testing for creativity, we're not going to have 
we're not going to have it in schools because teachers are like, well, I'm not going to be judged on that. But that's, that's absolutely the wrong way to look at it. We have to look at creativity. I mean, I really believe that creativity is the conduit to so many things. Creativity is a conduit to well-being and bliss, like you're talking about. It's the conduit to help us generate possibilities that don't exist. It's the conduit to help us, you know, deal with people who are different and, and accept people for, for differences, which is something that I, you know, so I, I am very passionate about, which is, you know, let's just be open-minded and right. accepting and, and find, find the, the love for each other. And how, how do we do that? Well, we stay open-minded. We don't just close down when someone comes to us with, I have this thought, or I have this idea, or this is what I think. And you go, no, that's not going to work. I don't like that. And you go, let's just keep open to that and, and find acceptance and find the things that we like about it. Um, and I also think it's, it's a conduit to, to being able to problem solve our everyday challenges and, you know, everyone, there's no one that's excused from that. So when they say, oh, we should have creativity for the gifted. I'm like, no, we need creativity for everyone because there's no one that's exempt from daily challenges. And if we can't generate options and we can't find our, our path out of that, we're never going to live a great life. And how do we know that someone is gifted if we haven't given them the opportunity to pursue that creative side, right? Right. Um, because some people are gifted at what I was talking about earlier, which is just memorization. And, right. and that's great. And that's, as someone who is GMT, like, I can tell you, like, that was a big part of it, you know? And I, I do believe that I, I I'm just, I, I'm so with you on this idea of like, if you, if you build that creativity in, then you do start to see people who, who are able to, again, back to the individual individualization piece, they're able to excel in the things that they are good at. And that's what we should be fostering is an educational system. In my opinion, that's another, we could go down a whole <laughs> rabbit hole on that. Um, but um, I, I'm curious, you, you mentioned just kind of that, like uh, how to how to build build love for each other and 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 kind of peace and, and all of that. I'm curious how you feel like you've built equity within kind of your creativity work. I feel like it's about um, it's it's about creating a psychologically safe environment for people to be who they are. So remember when I mentioned my my. Um, value around authenticity, you know, and I talk a lot about that in class. And, you know, I once had a student who said, you know, we're all not all going to be like you, Cindy, happy and cheery. I'm like, oh, I don't want you to be like me. One of me is enough for the world. Trust me. (laughs) You know, I want you to be who you are. I want to hear your ideas. I want to, you know, so to create a psychologically safe environment um, that has trust and openness, that there's idea support and risk-taking and, you know, debate that you can have a different opinion and that's okay. Like you, you have one opinion. I have a different, that's okay. Let's talk about it. And let's try to understand instead of trying to defend, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so much of it is about building a psychologically safe environment. And I think if we could do that more in schools, I think it would create a higher level of tolerance amongst those things that are different from what we are used to. Because instead of going, well, wow, that's different. I don't like it. You go, wow, that's different. I'm curious to understand more. And I'm open to understand a different perspective. And again, it's not about agreeing with everything. It's about, 
It's just about coming in a, at it with a place of, from a place of compassion. I also want to mention something that you've brought up several times, which is around students who are really good at memorizing are typically academically high achievers. Yep. And, you know, those are your 4.0 students, but the students that are creatively gifted, it's always interesting when I go and I get to work with, diff, you know, different age groups, but one group in particular I work with every year is a, a group of eighth graders and we work on these idea projects. And it's always the case that I go in and I do these towers where they're creating these towers and with very uncertain guidelines. And the students that are the highest achievers, the ones that always get the A's, they're the ones that are like, they're like at a total loss. They are falling. They the structure. They are, yeah. They are like, what are you doing to me? I hate this. This is torture. And then you see these other, this other group of kids who are not your high achievers. They're, you know, above average. And they're just like cranking things out and they're like blossoming because they finally have the structure of flexibility to create something within the constraints that they have in their mind, right. you know, and I had this one student um, who, and who was an eighth grader and he was generating, they had to generate a hundred questions they had about the world. And he was just like, I mean, he had a hundred in one, one class period. And the teacher came over to me. She said, I cannot believe I'm seeing this right now because this is a student who I've never seen like really excel at anything. And here he is just generating all these ideas and they were great ideas. Um, and she said, and he's like, got this like beaming spirit about him because he was finally able to be what he authentically is, which is an ideator. You know, he loves ideas. So. Yeah, I, oh man, I love that so much. And and as someone who I think I, I've really shifted kind of my, my learning style and um, the way that I've, I've gone about things like that is something like you say that now, like I said, if you would, if you had presented that to me, I would have probably been the same way, right. Mm -hmm. In eighth grade of, of your high achievers who would have been like, this is a waste of my time. I don't understand mm -hmm. this. I need the structure. I need to know the rules. I need you know those types of things. Um, and I, and I really shifted. I think I started that shift probably towards the end of, um, my, my high school career. Like I was just mm -hmm. like, this is again, like I wanted more challenge. I wanted to figure out what, you know, I enrolled in an art class specifically because I knew I wasn't good at it. And I wanted yeah. to really, you know, try my hand at that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really love that. Like the way that you are bringing this is a way to, again, find the strengths within everyone rather than, yeah. you know, putting everyone in this kind of this really this, which I think education just by default is kind of a deficit model. Mm -hmm. And what you're, what you're talking about is bringing strengths to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other pieces that you talked about was building a, a psychologically safe environment and, and, and really seeking understanding. And that's something that resonates with me in my current work, because we do a lot of work around equity and, and around justice. And I, I work as um, a conduct professional. So I deal with students who have potentially violated our code of conduct and, and those types of things. And we've talked about how to be creative with, with outcomes and, and with repairing harm and, and those types of things. And I, I, I just think that that's, that's really excellent. And I'm curious just in how, uh, how you help teachers facilitate that psychologically safe environment for folks. That's a great question. Um, and I've done a bunch of interviews with people on psychologically safe classrooms and creative classrooms. And some of the things are, are really just when we're looking at a, at a classroom, even a university classroom is knowing your students and knowing them by name, something as simple as that. Um, I spend the first day of class, like 
learning everyone's name. Everyone else learns each other's names. I, I don't allow them to sit in the same spot. And we do a lot of group work. So when they have to shift spots and seats, they're working with different students. And by, I would say, by a quarter of the way through the class, I have a class of 35, 40 students who know everyone's name, who they feel like they're friends because they've been working together. Um, and we do, I talk about the creative environment right up front. Like, what do we expect to happen in this classroom? You know, what are the, what are the expectations you have of me? What are the expectations I have of you? And what do we expect to, how do we expect to treat each other, you know, in this classroom? And, you know, and really talking deeply about those things right up front. Um, one of my, one of my educators who teaches um, history in eighth grade, he says the first two weeks of class, I tell my students, you can ask me any question you want about my life. You can ask me about my kids. You can ask me about my work. You can ask me about my house, my childhood, but I also get to ask you the question back. Right. And he said, I give it five minutes every, every day for the first two weeks. And he said, it really creates an environment. He's like, they asked me the funniest questions. Like, what were you like as a kid? And what is it like to live on a farm? And what happened, you know, um, just really funny questions. And he said, and I asked him the same questions. And he said, that builds a climate of trust. And yeah. he said, those kids come to me throughout the whole year when they have challenges because they know that they can trust that I'm going to be open to it. I'm not going to say that's not a good question. That's not, that's a stupid question, or I'm not comfortable answering that question that there's really, you can come to me with anything. Yeah. Yeah. That, that building trust in, you know, kind of the beginning is so crucial because it's really hard to go back and build that later. Not yeah. to say that you can't do it. And I'm sure that you work with, with folks who are kind of in the middle of their class and like, I don't know how to, how to kind of put this back together and those types of things, but it is, I, I imagine it's, it's, it's certainly much harder to do that. When you mentioned kind of knowing students by name, it sparked a memory for me that, that I, I think of all the time, which is when I used to work in student housing and our associate director at the time would bring in, we, we'd have a, a training with all of our resident assistants and, you know, mm. before, before students came in and uh, we'd up, we'd about a hundred and they sat in a room, they introduced themselves to her. And at the end she went around and did and said all of their names in a row. Um, and and the, mm. the whole idea was I can learn your names in, you know, uh, 20 minutes while we've been doing this, you can learn your residents' names who are moving in, you know, within mm. the first two weeks of them being there. And it's always stuck with me, this idea of like, there is a way to do that. And there is, and, and there's so much meaning behind that. And, yeah. and people, I think sometimes forget that. <laughs> um, yeah. Just forget that connection piece. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's like, I see Thomas. I just don't, I don't see just a man here with right. beautiful clouds behind him. I see Thomas, like right. you're a person. And I'll, one of the things I do remember about high school, and there's not a whole lot I remember, but I remember this teacher telling me the most beautiful word you can hear is the sound of your own name. Mm -hmm. So you're in class and you're not paying attention. I'm going to say, Hey, Thomas, is everything okay? You want to, you know, are you feeling okay? Do you want to check in, you know, or when, when people email me, I know who I'm talking to. It's not just like some random student. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're able to, and, and I, I said this in another interview recently, but you're, you're putting the humanity back in the human. And, yes. and, and that's like, that's the way that I kind of see that. Like you are actually, like you said, you're not just seeing a person, you are seeing them as again, an individual, as a contributing member to the mm -hmm. team, to the, the environment. And, and that really makes a, a lot of difference. 
Um, well, as we're uh, getting close to wrapping up here, I just have a couple of kind of last questions. The first one is, if you are, if you had to boil it down, you've given a lot of good advice, you've given a lot of good examples here, but if you had to boil down for folks who are trying to find their bliss through finding creativity um, or, or even helping others find creativity, how, how might they go about that? What, what's, what's kind of some initial steps to take some, some advice for them to find bliss through creativity? I think the first thing is um, to figure out what you want to learn about and to not afraid, not be afraid to be a novice. And um, it's interesting. We just had an IBM designer, um, Casey Lathrop, who was on our podcast, and she talked about practice as the outcome. And she talks about fifty days of practice. And she said, just practice every day. You know, just take ten minutes and and practice and and find the joy in just doing it, not in having some particular outcome. And I, I found that really helpful as a, as a sort of a framework to getting started. I think the other thing is to not be afraid to take, you know, risks um, and to think about the limiting beliefs that we have of ourselves of, you know, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm not smart enough, I'm too smart, I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm that. Like, I think we categorize ourselves too often into, into like these boxes of, these um, self-imposed constraints that don't allow us to live our full lives, you know, and I'll never forget. I had a woman who was doing a master's project with me and she was older than me and she was doing these, she was going to all these like really fun classes. Like she was doing, um, uh, what is it called? Where those things are hanging up in the air, like strings and you're stretching yourself. And yeah, like the, the, uh, like the, the acrobats in the air. Acrobats, yeah. I, I, I yeah like yeah. acrobats in the air. Yeah. And I was like, I would have never thought I could do something like that. Yeah. You know, so don't tell yourself you can't do it. Just say, what if I just try it once, you know, and if I give it a shot and I really hate it, then I won't do it again. But if we don't have this, you know, we have to live our stories. We have, if we want a creative life, we have to go out and, and live it in a way that right. is meaningful to us and pushes us just a little bit outside of that comfort zone to go, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk a lot about uh, on the pod, the, the idea of just kind of giving that, taking that first leap. Right. And, 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 you know, it doesn't have to be, uh, you don't have to jump off a cliff with your first leap, right? You Mm -mm. can, you can jump down two stairs and you're fine. Um, And and so it is just kind of finding where you can take that. But I I really, uh, I really value that and and love that. Um, Before we get to our last question, there was one that I I missed. I wrote it down and then I just missed it. So I'm going to jump back into that one, which is how has your um, philosophy, your work on creativity, how has that influenced the way you parent? Oh, wow. It very much has influenced the way I parent. And I, I have a book called My Sandwich is a Spaceship, Creative Thinking for Parents with Young Children. Um, and I actually wanted to write a book called I Learned More from My Eight-Year-Old About Creativity than I did from, you know, 20 years of teaching it. Because sure. I, I think being a parent, um, and my husband is also a creativity, um, he's a creativity consultant in the sciences. So the two of us parenting our children is, is a constant state of creativity because we're always thinking about how we can improve ourselves. We're thinking about how they can live their best lives. And we do that um, by really listening and being open-minded to what they want to try and what they want to create. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny. My, my son said, 
when he turned 13, he said, I, I want to have um, a party where we go to the dollar store and we get materials to build a contraption for an egg drop and drop eggs out of the house. I'm like, all right, let's do it. You know, and I was talking to someone else and she's like, oh gosh, wouldn't that create such a mess? I'm like, no, it does like, it's okay. It's okay to be messy. It's okay that it gets chaotic. And it's, and I think the biggest thing I've learned in being a creativity person in parenting is that you have to teach your children how to problem solve Mm -hmm. and problem solve things together. So, whereas the way that I was raised and I have two amazing parents, but you know, when problems came up, they didn't like involve me in the problem solving process. So as I got older, like if I hit problems, it was like, I don't know how to do Like, what do I do? Someone else has to fix it. Right. Yeah. Right. Like this, like, and and I actually thought that there was something wrong with me because there Mm. were problems. Right. So when I have problems, I involve my kids. I'm like, okay, I've got this podcast. I'm running late. The dog is barking. How are we going? You know, so how are we going to work on this together? Okay, I'll do this. I'll try this. And and so it's sort of like we work together on the challenges that we face. Even like when we plan the weekends, it's like, all right, so what does everyone want to do this weekend? And we'll generate lots of ideas. And we know that just because an idea is generated doesn't mean that that's necessarily what we're going to do. It's just an idea. And then we work and we we sort of mold things together as a family to really think through how we're going to do what we want to do, you know, and, um, and that's really helpful. Yeah. As a, as a parent of young children, myself and, um, and one, uh, much older <laughs> child, um, you know, that, that, that really speaks to me because I think there's, I think it also takes some of that, um, that onus <laughs> of that from you and you right. can, you can share that. And it doesn't feel like, man, I have to plan every single thing every single day. Yeah. And it, and it really does, you know, build that consensus and builds the, builds, you know, that, that creative wonder of like, Hey, everything's open. So what can we do this week? And I, I, right. I just think that that's brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah. Our last question is always just, what would you like to promote? What would I like to promote? <laughs> uh, or any plugs or, or any, you know, plug in the well, podcast, all if, that stuff. Yeah. If you like this podcast, you might like my podcast, which is feeling creativity. Um, I hope you'll check out our website at creativityandeducation.com. Um, we have lots of free resources for parents and teachers. And we also have, if you're not a parent, we have lots of apps. So we have an app on being creative, an app for weaving creativity, an app for parents, um, and lots of upcoming courses, um, online courses, webinars, all sorts of fun things. Um, and you know, if you have any questions, don't, don't hesitate to reach out because I love having these conversations with people. So thank you so much for having me here today, Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I can speak to firsthand uh, Cindy's excellent at communication and, and, and uh, you know, really uh, respond to anything and any question that you have. Um, we'll definitely get the, the pod and, and the website and, and all of the information in the show notes as well. Uh, but it's been an absolute delight to have you today. And um, thanks so much for, for agreeing to come on. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see everybody next time on What's Your Bliss. You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at YourBlissPod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me, or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at yourblisspodcast at gmail.com.
Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast. 